the Guardian. This is classical music like you've likely never heard it before. You're listening to a rehearsal of Tectonics, the revolutionary music marathon held at the Adelaide Festival over the last two days. Today we're taking you behind the scenes of some of the most exciting theatrical and musical performances we've seen at the festival to date. I'm going to go backstage at the Space Theatre and talk to Matthew Whittet, who's the writer of the Windmill Theatre trilogy, and he talks to us about the perils and the power of creating theatre for teenagers. It's a warm Adelaide night, and uh, right now I'm actually at the Queen's Theatre. Apart from I'm not, I'm, I'm in a park near the Queen's Theatre, to be honest. Uh, slightly ridiculously, it's half eleven at night. Uh, but I'm joined now by Alex Needham and Vayana Perkovic. Hello, both. Hello. Hello. And Alex, do you want to explain to us why we're in a park at half eleven at night? What have you been seeing to keep us up so late? Well, I've just come out of the second of two days of Tectonics, both of which I saw. Um, Tectonics is... Um, an experiment which brings together the kind of worlds of a conventional classical orchestra with the worlds of avant-garde, electronic, often music, um, with a lot of improvisation and stuff that's really at the cutting edge. And today um, was the second of those days, and it was a very long concert that involved a lot of pieces by various um, musicians and composers, some kind of classic, you know, t- famous 20th century um, avant-garde composers and some um, modern Australian ones like RNM Barchi who um, who was the, the, the part of the last um, act of the day Grave Temple which was him and two of Sun O oh, who are these famous ambient doom metal band and he's a, he's a guitarist from Melbourne and has sort of been a bit of a theme throughout the whole of Tectonics. Um, well, we spoke to Oren Ambarchi before his rather titanic tectonic set today to find out how he became involved in the project. Hi, my name's Oren Ambarchi. I uh, make sounds <laughs> with primarily with uh, the guitar and uh, various effects pedals. It's pretty old school what I do in the sense that I don't process my sounds with a laptop. Um, it's usually old sort of analog pedals. I'm interested in pure tones and sort of long, long sounds that, you know, last a long time or uh, are quite subharmonic, lots of low frequencies. I don't know what I want to create. <laughs> I mean, I, I just like to uh, get lost in the, in the sound world that we, that we make together. Um, that's, that's what's really important to me. Just getting a certain feeling from the sounds where um, I forget about, I forget that I'm playing, I forget that I'm just almost listening to what's going on. That's kind of what interests me the most. Um, Tectonics is a festival uh, curated by Ilan Volkov. I've worked, uh, I've played Tectonics in Iceland before and in Glasgow. It was one of the richest uh, experiences as a listener for me because lots and lots of uh, pieces that Ilan chose and composers that Ilan chose to represent in the festival were a lot of composers that really kind of extend the parameters of what a composer is or what sound is or what music is. Especially in Australia, I think a lot of this stuff's really underrepresented. So we're really fortunate to have this, you know, opportunity to hear this music. 
and it's pleasurable to listen to as well for me just that being exposed to these uh composers works um it's really rare a lot of the the works that i heard the past few festivals that i performed at were pieces that i loved by composers that some composers that are quite sort of unrecognized and um i've only had a chance to hear those pieces on rec on vinyl or on cd so to actually hear it played by an orchestra live was just a beautiful experience so alex having just emerged from tectonics did you find it to be a beautiful experience I think beauty is kind of the wrong concept to come to when you, you're just talking, you're talking about music like this. I mean, it's, uh, it's often quite difficult, it's pretty abrasive, but it was really interesting and I think I learned a lot and I, and I, and I did get into it. I mean, um, a lot of the things I've heard have been very weird by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I, was in, I was speaking to... Um, uh, Eugene Ugetti, who's who's a percussionist who played in a lot of tectonics both today and yesterday, and he was sort of talking about how over the last forty or fifty years, um, composers of sort of serious or classical music have stopped really being that interested in harmony or rhythm, and really it's all about the texture of the sounds. So there are, there are things today which were just all kind of texture. I mean, um, it started off with a couple of very ambient pieces where it's just sort of rustling whistling and you have to kind of concentrate for quite a long time but once you once you kind of go with it and realize that nothing's go nothing else is really going to happen then you kind of do, you do get into it it's an interesting process to go through I mean, one of the highlights... I think you described it as crisp bags. It's like crisp bags <laughs> rustling. Was Can you get into that? It was a little bit like crisp, crisp bags rustling. I mean, it, you've got to kind of get into a different headspace, really. As long as you're not sort of expecting a tune, then, then you can start appreciating it for what it is. I mean, it's like any other difficult artworks. In a way, music has it quite bad, I think, because most people now realise that sort of conceptual art is a thing that you have to kind of get into and you have to sort of understand a bit and you have to take it for what it is rather than saying why isn't it a lovely watercolour of like a you know a landscape and and I think with classical with avant-garde music it's the same sort of thing you've got to you know you've got to get over the idea that classical music has got to be this fabulous stuff that sweeps you off your feet and realise that it can and should create another emotions you know including sometimes you know irritation annoyance kind of pain i mean all of all of those things were were, in, were involved today and you know some of it was very kind of doomy in tone and sometimes i thought it could be a bit lighter but it was really it was it was really interesting and stimulating and you know and great really i mean i was sort of about to say that tectonics didn't start you off easily by sort of you know giving you sort of an hour's burst but maybe the best way is to like have nine hours of it and really just sort of submerge yourself in it i mean I've, i think i've got quite a long attention span and i've got quite a high pain threshold when it comes to music but um <laughs> you should be having to discuss music in terms of high pain thresholds no, no maybe no maybe not i mean i think sort of getting into something with that kind of intensity and knowing that you're, you're strapped in and that there's nothing else you're going to be doing i think it, i think it does the music a lot of favors and i think it means that you adjust to it much more thanks alex thanks so much Jana, let's hear from you. I think you've been having a brilliant festival experience, but also an appalling festival experience. So take us through your highs and your lows. 
Well, I managed to see my best festival show and my worst festival show pretty much one after the other. So should I talk about the best first? I always think the best first. Yes, definitely. Well, I had the great um, privilege of seeing Batsheva's new work. Batsheva is uh, the premier Israeli dance company and the new work called Sadeh 21 uh, came to Adelaide for the first time since uh, 1994, I think it is. And it was just an enormously affecting work. Uh, Batsheva are famous for their um, body uh, methodology, shall we say, called Gaga, um, which you could really see in the dancers' work this time. They had uh, an extraordinary control over their bodies, this incredible sense of balance. And I think you could really appreciate the work without knowing much about dance, just I mean, actually, I think if you listen to our Perth Festival podcast, you can hear me appreciating Batsheva without <laughs> knowing anything about dance. Um, but, I mean, it's actually, I had a very emotional response to it, and I, it, I couldn't really process exactly why. It is true. What I think happens is uh, Batsheva's works are very sort of high modernist, fairly abstract works, without narrative, without characters. But the choreography that uh, the choreographer, Ohad Naharin, uh, develops has a lot of very figurative elements. So there'll be hugging, there'll be kissing, there will be recognizing. Uh, pictures and um, I found myself as well experiencing these very interesting pictures in an emotional way and completely unable to tell whether I was sad, whether I was upset, whether I was joyous. But it's quite humorous I found. I thought I found myself laughing quite a lot in it. Yes, there are some uh, very um, cheeky scenes there is gender play there is a man sort of speaking uh, like with a speech impediment it is really really uh, beautiful and so from the sublime to um well I've, i hesitate to say the ridiculous that seems a bit harsh but you went to see the seagull which is the state theater of south australia and you didn't have a good experience no, it was um, very unfortunate to um, have to critique the local uh, company, but it was a very, I thought, unsuccessful production of Chekhov. This was Chekhov's Seagull, which, is, uh, which was his first staged play. This was Stanislavski developed his very famous method of acting on this play, and uh, Moscow Art Theatre to this day has Seagull in its emblem. That's how important this play is, and you have to do it right. So it's a new adaptation, isn't it, by Hilary Bell? But that wasn't your problem. You, there wasn't. A, you didn't have a problem with the adaptation, particularly. No, the adaptation was very faithful to the text, um, and the production, I think, wanted to be very faithful to the text, and this is very much um, the problem. The acting was just not up to the standard. So, so you think it's the direction, basically, that was your problem? Uh, when the acting of the whole ensemble is not good it is always the director's fault I believe. Well the Seagull plays till March 16th I'm not sure we've given it a ring of endorsement to be honest but if you do want to see it you can. So I've also been at Adelaide Festival Centre actually I've been seeing two of the three plays being presented for teenagers as part of the Windmill Theatre trilogy. Um, Windmill Theatre creates plays for children, teenagers and families that's their line and uh, these plays are on until March the 16th. They run in rep. They don't all run all the time, so make sure you get to the website and check which. Um, I'll tell you a bit about what I thought about the plays I've seen, which are Girl Asleep and The Fugitive, but first let's hear from the writer of the trilogy, Matthew Whittet. So here you are, this backstage at the Space Theatre. So at the moment, this is Fugitive. This is the backstage for Fugitive. Oh, and carpeted, so we're not making a big noise as we run around. No, well, as you come out here, this is, this is our set for Fugitive. So uh, after tonight, this entire set gets bumped out. 
school dance gets bumped in, which is a, um, a school hall um, with a stage at the back. Um, and then Girl Asleep will then be put on top of that at the end of the week. So our poor crew are working very, very, very hard. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's fun. It's always fun to play on a set that has lots of carpet. Um, so the trilogy, we should say, is um, three productions. It's Fugitive, School Dance and Girl Asleep. And Girl Asleep is the new work of the three for this festival. That's right. So Girl Asleep, um, we've just worked on the, um, the world premiere for that now. Um, our older work, School Dance, was made two years ago and Fugitive, our first work, was made uh, four years ago. So, yeah. I saw Girl Asleep last night and I was really taken by how uh, challenging it was actually in terms of a team performance. It kind of, you know, it didn't let itself off the hook because it was for young people. Quite the opposite. I guess the best way to describe it is that Rose, the director, and myself, when we've come together on all of these works, um, we've always come with the aim of uh, never talking down to our audience, uh, writing it for primarily for teenagers but also writing just as much for each other as well. So, and you know, we're all theatre artists who work, you know, with many, in many different, so with many different age groups, really. I mean, I'm, I've been a performer for 16 years and have been writing for the last 10 years. So, so um, I, I, I kind of primarily am interested in writing for young people and then myself. And so in that, in that territory, it kind of, it kind of opens out and means that, it's the work is always as, as I guess is only as as ever as challenging as we want to make it for ourselves as well. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And um, so we should say the trilogy. All all these stories in the trilogy are sort of dealing with kind of adolescent coming of age stories, aren't they? In different ways. Mm. Um, and I was very struck by uh, Girl Asleep has this very interesting aesthetic to it. This very seventies aesthetic. Um, that I sort of slightly summed up what you guys do in that it created, it, it made total sense for the teenagers in the audience, and there were a lot of teenagers in the audience, because it was kind of alien and you weren't trying to recreate their world with kind of older actors. And I really, with, you know, I really thought that was clever. But also it worked for me because it, it was sort of, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, I understand teenage. It makes me nostalgic. But it also helps create a world that is quite its own, actually. And, and is absolutely just of the piece, so you buy into it totally. And it really underlines that these are universal themes. I thought it was really clever. I thought it was brilliant. Oh, great, thanks. Yeah, the, I mean, part of, part of what we've done with each of the shows in the trilogy is um, was we started with Fugitive, and Fugitive was kind of set in a, is set in a, in kind of a dystopian now, I guess, a little bit, and dystopian stories for teenagers. I mean, it's like, you know, like catnip for cats, you know, it's that they kind of, there's something about those sorts of stories that teenagers are kind of, kind of fall so beautifully into because they, yeah, it's all about making a new world for yourself, you know, and who the hell doesn't want to try to, you know, create their own world afresh. When the king disappeared, so did their word. He didn't disappear, Will. He just went away. He'll be back. How would you know? You haven't even been here. They're coming. Hide! Particularly for teenagers who are kind of at that point of wanting to, you know, getting out of school, you know, wanting to sort of look at the world and be individuals for the first time, it kind of speaks to them in a very direct way. So, so we, we made that work and then 
and then we had a chance, we had a chance to work on a second piece, um, which was school dance. We, because Fugitive had kind of focused on this sort of this alpha male idea and these ideas of violence and um, all this sort of, these ideas of violence that I kind of dug into um, Robin Hood and Robin Hood stories and all, all of the sort of the folklore about Robin Hood to sort of find this, th these questions of violence within young men particularly. Um, anyway, so it's a long way of getting around to the fact that school dance, then we went, okay, let's talk about the losers and see what, what's the rite of passage story for the absolute loser. And I kind of became obsessed with this idea of what school dances were for 14 year olds and the absolute terror and size and all that stuff of, of, of those moments. I think Girl Asleep has probably been the most ambitious in terms of scale uh, and what we are trying to achieve in 120 minutes. Well, and with five actors, I should say, you know, yeah. with a really small cast. And my favourite moment of the show is the party scene. Yeah, right. I, I adore it. I thought it was so clever directorially to kind of, you managed to create this massive party with, with five people. It's very smart. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's one of the things that... Um, that we've all kind of worked on over these shows which is to which is to kind of create impossible ideas and try to find a kind of good old-fashioned stage stage trick way of doing them for instance in school dance starts in a school dance or outside a school dance and these three boys who become so terrified one becomes so terrified about going in that he starts to become invisible and and the way we've kind of solved that is that is that at the once, once that, that happens to be me. Uh, once, um, once I start to freak out and become invisible, my clothes get ripped off me, and I'm wearing a black sequin onesie. I'm looking forward to this already. So obviously. for the whole show, yeah. So for the rest of the show, you have these people, and then we kind of are, are, are whisked away into this land of invisible teens. So in the same way, it's kind of a, it's it's kind of trying to find, to try, try to create as much, I guess, entertainment and fun at the same time as trying to carry a storyline that I think hopefully has has enough heart to reach people on a very human level and teenagers on a very human level. They're so aware of form. They're so aware of pop culture. They're so aware of, of digesting um, kind of as many different things as possible in a short amount of time. So I think, I think for me, trying to create shows for them means that I can't, you kind of have to think at a very f rapid rate and you know, that, you know that you can't kind of just do the same things that have been done before. And I think possibly there's a, there's a bravery with teenagers, well, when you're trying to talk to teenagers, that you need a bravery of form and a bravery of a sort of, of content and everything has to... You've got to punch right through to get to them. Otherwise, it's just lost. Matthew Whittett speaking to me backstage at the Space Theatre earlier. So since speaking to Matthew yesterday, I've seen Fugitive, the first play Windmill Theatre produced, as well as Girl Asleep. And it's been quite an interesting experience for me because this is my first experience of this company's work. And I'm seeing sort of the show, I think, that started it all and the sort of the fruits of their labour four years on. Um, so there's, there's a very clear aesthetic, uh, which I really like. I think it's brilliant work for teenagers in the way it speaks to them. And I really did like Girl Asleep. I thought there were some fantastic things in it. 
Um, and uh, there's an interesting kind of, they, they, bo- they borrow quite heavily from film and from uh, graphic novels. Um, there's quite a lot of dance in it. They just presume that their audience understand all these things and are very happy with them sort of in a cross-media way, which I really love. But I feel sort of like Girl Asleep, it's all much more realised than in Fugitive, where you can see the seeds of all these ideas, you know, but they're not really quite there yet. And I think actually it probably suffers from being in a trilogy with um, the show that it's effectively given birth to, I think, because, you know, they, they really do sort of, they have the same uh, kind of themes to them. And, and, and I think um, the writer, Matthew Whittett, is sort of coming back to the same sort of form for them all as well. Um, very interesting thing, an ambitious work for teenagers who I think are quite underserved as, as a group. And the teenagers who I saw both plays with uh, were really engaged with them. You're listening to Guardian Australia's Adelaide Festival podcast. I'm Vicky Frost, and there's one last thing we've yet to cover. The Adelaide Fringe. The Fringe. Oh, the Adelaide Fringe? The Adelaide Fringe. The Fringe. With Jane Howard. I started yesterday by seeing a show called FOMO, Fear of Missing Out, at Radio Adelaide's studios on North Terrace. It was really lovely to see a site-specific work in the fringe. They used the space really organically to tell the story of a show in a community radio station. The performer and creator, Zoe McDonald, plays 10 characters, including a take on herself and it sort of devolves into this nightmare situation where everyone's looking at her life. She's very funny, she's a very clever performer playing all these characters and at the end it reaches this real moment of emotional pathos. I thought they could have sustained that a bit more and they were a bit too quick to go back into the jokes where I thought the contrast between the humour and that emotional realisation was really important but sometimes it's nice to let the audience walk out laughing. There was also an issue with the technology, they used silent disco headphones which had a really big hiss to it and I think setting it in a radio station and when people listen to so much material these days on good headphones that just can't happen in that context. So I spent most of the show listening without the headphones on which was fine but I'm a bit disappointed that I didn't get to experience the work the way that they really wanted it to be done. I then went back to the Tuxedo Cat for They Saw a Thylacine. This is a lyrical poetry piece about two women involved with the thylacine or the Tasmanian tiger in the 1930s just before their extinction. It's by Sarah Hamilton and Justine Campbell who are two Melbourne performance makers and it can be really hard to maintain an audience's concentration with that sort of lyrical storytelling particularly at this point in Fringe and they just did a really beautiful job of it. We were all right there with them. The thing that I found most interesting about the work was the way that it spoke about women at that time in Australia. You sort of went in thinking it was about the thylacine and you got a lot of history about it, but it was really about the way this tracker and this zookeeper were looked down on by the men in their world and the way that their careers were really held back because of their gender. I finished the night on the Popeye, which is a boat on the Torrens in Adelaide. We all gathered in the dark of Elder Park, sort of some sort of social experiment. How long will people wait for a boat, perhaps? But when we got on the boat, there was this real sense of community and I was sharing fringe tips with people I'd never met and people were telling me what shows they'd seen. It was really lovely. Hosted by a comedian called Sarah Bonetto. It's just comedians telling stories. They've got a roving lineup during the fringe. I really loved Katie Mulgrew last night telling stories about her marriage. She's from the UK and she said she could tell us these stories because she's bored all of her friends to death back home, but we're a new crowd so she can do what she wants. 
and Sarah Bonetto telling a story about going to an Arcade Fire concert. It was a lovely night last night. It was still in the high 20s when we got on the boat and it was just a nice way to spend an evening. FOMO, Fear of Missing Out, runs at Radio Adelaide until the 16th. They Saw a Thylacine runs at Tuxedo Cat also until the 16th and Storytellers Club on the Popeye runs until the 15th. On the second Adelaide Festival podcast, I incorrectly named one of the shows I was referring to. I meant to say a special day and instead I called it A Simple Space, which was a show I spoke about in the first podcast. Apologies for the confusion. Guardian Australia's fringe critic, Jane Howard. So uh, now it's almost midnight uh, and we're in the middle of a park in the middle of Adelaide with nobody else about. So uh, it's probably time for us to go. Um, Do tune in tomorrow, as long as we get out of this park alive, presumably, and we'll be back. Um, Our audio producer, Belinda Lopez, will be putting together just one more podcast from the Adelaide Festival. Uh, Go to theguardian.com slash au for the rest of our reviews, as well as live blogs, lovely pictures and videos from the Adelaide Festival, WOM Adelaide, and of course, The Fringe.